Sunday. Hey, church, how are you? You good? Well, if we haven't met, if you're newer, I'm Rebecca. I'm one of our pastors. Um, Dwight's on vacation for a couple weeks. He and his lovely wife, Kelly, are celebrating their 39th wedding anniversary. It's very good. Somewhere sunny and warm. Good for them. <laughs> um, hey, just one thing uh, Mike reminded me before we pray and begin the message. I just want to thank everybody for an amazing pie auction last week. This church never ceases to blow my mind. Two weeks ago, I was gushing to Dwight about the fact that, um, so I've been doing kids ministry for like 28 years, an embarrassingly long amount of time. Makes me old, I understand. Um, but all of my kidsmen, director and pastor friends are always having a hard time finding people for their ministry. Always. This one guy I know, he spends three months a year cold calling. We needed kids ministry people here, and in one week, we got eight yeses. Unbelievable. But then on the heels of that, we had our pie auction last week, in which we doubled the profits we made any year since and brought in $1,800 for our youth. So anyway, I just want to give a shout out to you guys. Thank you for being the community that cares so much about our kids and our youth. It's an honor to be a part of a community like this. It's really amazing. Let's pray and then we'll transition into our message today. Jesus, you are our source. God, we come to you not because I have the words of life, but because you, O oh God, have the words of life. Jesus, I ask that you would anoint my words, that they would bring life, and that you would meet us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm a recently minted sports parent. If you've met me, that's funny, because I don't really understand the sports, but I'm a really supportive mom, so I'll, I'll do the sports if my children are sportsing. So, but I'm, I'm learning to really appreciate it. My daughter's in the marching band, which is like the best. Like, parents didn't tell me what a nice group of kids the marching band kids are. Those are the nice kids. Hack, parents. Have your kids play an instrument so that in high school they hang out with the band kids. The best kids. But so because my daughter's in the marching band, we go every Friday and sit in Lakewood Stadium and we watch the football. And I saw, I've been to a bunch of football games because despite not being a sportsy person, you know, I had a brother who played, and so I, I'm supportive. I saw the best football game I have ever seen in my entire life. Sports people, I'm probably going to mess up these details, but you'll appreciate the magic. Okay, we were 78 yards from our goal. I think I'm right so far, right? That makes sense with a minute 27 on the clock, and we were down by a touchdown and a field goal. 
And we had been neck and neck with this team the whole time. Like, we would get one, they would get one, we would get one, they would. It was like the closest game ever. And we were like almost 80 yards away with like less than a minute and a half. This is not great start. But then, like, you know, as they do, the coaches timed out and they pulled out their whiteboards and started passing around iPads frantically and making all these notes and moving everybody around. And then they started this crazy drive, that's all this called, and they went like pass after pass after pass until they were like 25 yards or so from the goal with five seconds on the clock. And, they, and I was like, and everybody's on their feet, right? Like the whole lake was, we're like screaming and like, oh my God. And the band is, everybody's freaking out. The energy's crazy. And they, it was like, for more artsy people, it was like a ballet in the choreography that these players all moved into their spots. You know what I'm talking about? Which brings me to note, football people, you guys like ballet. Yeah, yeah, because your players are doing some really crazy stuff on field that is like ballet. So anyways, all the players got into their positions like as soon as, you know, the thing started, and in five seconds, they moved the ball a few times, these crazy passes, sideways passes, and it, they shot it off to the kid, passed it, I know it's passing, they passed it to this kid who I guess was supposed to be our starting quarterback this time, but whatever. Anyways, he caught it and his foot hit the end zone as it hit zero to make the touchdown. Unbelievable. And then we got the we got the field goal, and we won by one point. Unbelievable game. Like, the, the stands emptied out, and the kids are screaming. But it made me think about, you know, it was less a game about, like, one person just being really good at football. Like, well, we just had a really good quarterback. Like, no, no. Everybody played their positions with precision. Everybody was arranged in just the right spot to get the results for the team and for the community because like the, the whole town has, was like buzzing for a week, right? But it really is a victory of everyone playing their part. And so we are talking about, in this series, we're talking about the vineyard values. And the reason for that is because churches are importantly not all the same. And each church, each kind of denomination or each community brings something really important to the whole of what faith is and what it brings and the way we impact our communities. I always think about like John Knox down the street has this really awesome um, produce distribution. They do such a good job. Like every week they're so faithful. They give out produce to everybody in the community. Uh, St. Clarence and St. Richard's, they donate more food to the North Olmstead Food Pantry than anybody. I mean, it's just inspiring. And that's not even like spiritually. I mean, I think, you know, the way the Baptists know the Bible is so good and so important. And we actually used a curriculum 
for a little bit, way long time ago, that was for some of our kids, that was uh, put out by the Baptist because it was so rich in Bible that it was the best way to teach the kids the Bible because they're just that good at it, right? And the idea is that all of the church has something really important to offer and a really important part to play in God's great play of getting us all where we need to be so that our community is loved and reached. And so the part that the vineyard, which is the kind of denomination or the movement we're associated with, um, these are our values that we've been talking about and then we're going to zoom in on one this morning. So we've been talking about partnering with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I talked to you about that, the idea that we're not just you know, living life on our own and we're not just trying to help people on our own, but we're partnering with what the Holy Spirit is already doing in our community, in our midst, right? We're experiencing and we're worshiping God. We believe that God wants to meet us personally and communally in worship. We believe that God's desire is to reconcile people with him, to bring folks closer to right relationship, us, others, and even creation. Caring for creation is part of stewarding this world. And this morning, we're talking about engaging in compassionate ministry. And so when we're talking about engaging in compassionate ministry, there's um, kind of three parts to that. And the first is that if we are going to engage in compassionate ministry, we have to stop for others. And the second, if we are going to engage in compassionate ministry, we have to feel with others. And the last is if we are going to engage as a community and as people in compassionate ministry, we have to engage for the benefit of other people. So stopping for others, this is a long passage and so I don't have it on the screens. So if you have your phones, you have the Bible app, you're welcome to flip to it. If you have uh, a hard copy Bible, you're welcome to boss that out as well. I'll give you a second to flip or to type. I like a paper Bible better myself, but I'm so notorious about leaving it at church that the phone is easier for me. I struggle though because it's not as fun. It's harder for my brain. All right. Hey, we're gonna read, I'm going to read this and you can follow along. Luke 8, 40 to 48. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing she could, go, she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told him why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. 
Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So there's a couple things we're going to notice in this passage. And the first is that Jesus was on an important mission. The woman who had the issue of blood didn't come up to him in his leisure time, or even when he was doing something unimportant, if he was at a meal or something. He was on the way to save someone who was dying, which, spoiler alert, she was fine. He took care of the situation, healed her. But, like, he was on the way to save a dying child, and he still stopped for someone else. The second thing is that the issue of blood was that, like, she was having lady bleeding, which is embarrassing to talk about in this culture. It was beyond in that culture, right? By touching her, by her having contact with him, he became ceremonially, ceremonially unclean in the eyes of his entire community. And she had to stand up in front of this massive crowd, and it says she didn't just say she touched him, she said, why? Imagine you're in a crowd of, I mean, so much they're pressing up against him, say 400 people. That's like double church. Does any of you want to stand up and talk about female bleeding in front of all of us? No. But this is the level of desperation this lady had. I mean, 12 years of no one touching her, of never being able to go to the temple, never being able to eat with anybody. And Jesus instinctively responded to her desperation, and he knew that her need wasn't less than a dying child. And he stopped for her. He stopped everything that he was doing. In fact... She would have been healed even if he hadn't stopped, right? But he wanted to stop, and he wanted to look her in the eyes, and he wanted to express care, and he wanted to show all those people that she touched him, and he was fine with it. He wasn't just giving her her healing. He was giving her back her dignity, publicly, at the expense of his own time, his own standing in the community, and his own comfort. But he knew that her dignity was more important than his comfort in that moment. I mean, Jesus was fully human. He felt emotions like we feel emotions. And yet he decided to stop for her. Colossians 3.12 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I think it's interesting that it isn't be compassionate. It's clothe yourself with compassion. This is Paul who wrote this, knowing that compassion isn't something we just naturally feel. It's a choice we make to put it on ourselves, right? You don't just naturally come out of the womb living compassionately. I took my niece and nephew, her little tiny people, to the Children's Museum yesterday. 
a good reminder you don't come out feeling compassionate. You come out wanting chicken nuggets, sugar, and a good time, right? But we choose as adults to not seek the comfort that children seek, but to put on uncomfortable garments of compassion for the sake of others. Stopping for others is the intentional choice to give up our plans to stay with someone in that place. I had, um, I had a pretty crazy stop for others experience actually on the way to church this morning. I wasn't even going to tell the story. I've been waffling, but I think I'm going to. So I'm already kind of committed. I have a microphone on. It's fine. So, so, you know, on Sunday mornings, like, I have my head in church stuff, right? And I'm thinking through the message, or I'm thinking through what we're doing here, or, um, you know, the kids' ministry, what's going on with that, or, you know, today we're kicking off youth group after church, so I'm thinking about that. And so my mind is employed with very good things, right? Uh, but I'm on a mission, and I'm doing a thing. I'm driving down Lorraine Road, and I had timed myself perfectly. I like to get here about quarter to nine, 8.30, just make sure everything's good, things are unlocked, it's nice so that when you guys come, you feel loved and welcomed. I'm driving down Lorraine Road and right across the street from St. Clarence on the sidewalk is an 80-some-year-old man laying face down and bleeding all alone with his walker, like, off. He's, like, four inches from the street, and he's, like, it was the saddest thing. Let's just say. So my initial thing is, surely someone is helping this man. I'm like, here, he's here. I'm like, oh, no one's helping. Uh-oh, no one's helping. Wait, wait, this guy's hurt. Uh-oh, he's hurt, he's hurt. And so then I do, you know, my children call it the classic mom flip. It's the uh, U-turn in the middle of the street. So I do a quick U-turn. I pull into the parking lot, and I jump out of my car. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, someone more qualified than me be here. No one's here. Okay. So I come up to this guy, and he's like crying. He's confused. I'm like, are you okay? What's going on? What happened? And he's like, I, I was trying to go to the mall right here. He points to St. Clarence, thinking that's the mall. I just wanted to get a little exercise. I'm like, of course you did. So of course, you know, I get down and I'm like trying to check him for injuries. I don't, you know, know, right? I'm talking to him, rubbing his shoulder. It's okay. You're all right. Be all right. I'm here. I'm not gonna leave you. It's okay. I don't know where I'm going. It's all right. Here, I'll take you home. We'll be fine. And I would be a liar if I if I didn't say that there was a part of me that's like, church is gonna start in a minute. And then, of course, about as quickly as that happened, that this is church. That this man is church. That this is where I'm called to be right now for however long it takes. And if, you know, Chuck leads the church today because I'm by the side of the roads on my knees covered in this man's blood, then that's what we're doing today, and that's church. So this really sweet young guy who works at Giant Eagle, he's on his way to shift, he pulls off. Note that a whole bunch of cars had passed before I stopped that as I was pulling in, way more cars were passing this man inches from his face, not caring. And this sweet young guy comes out, and he's, I mean, oozing with compassion, right? 
you know, oh, hey, hey, it's all right. I'll take care of you, sweetest kid. And we, you know, we check and no major injuries. So we get him up and we're, you know, picking this guy up and then couldn't figure out where he lived. We had no idea, no idea on him. And this other guy stopped and he said he had seen the guy fall before in front of this nursing home. So this lady had stopped this Uber driver and she runs back and goes and gets the nurses from there and I call 911. It was this crazy thing, but like, so this one girl comes on the scene and she's from their nursing home and she's like, ha ha, guess you found one of ours, didn't ya? And I was like, are you, are you kidding me right now? She's like, oh yeah, oh, you just, you know, he's married too, he should just be home, what's he doing here, whatever. And I looked at her and I was like, this man built our community. Our seniors built the society we are benefiting from right now. And he is hurt, and he is sad, and he's scared, and we are going to be hurt, and we are going to be sad, and we are going to be scared with him in this moment. And that is who we are. And that is how we stop. That is how we posture ourselves. However they are, we are. And we will stay in that posture with people. And so there is no other aid I could lend him, but I rubbed that man's back until he was in the ambulance. Because one day, that could be me, and one day, that could be my dad. And even if not, that man is an image bearer of God Almighty who is laying on the sidewalk, on his face, with no one caring. And friends, when we say we stop for compassion, what we're saying is we have purposed in our mind that we are prepared to interrupt any part of our life to be Jesus Christ to the people in our community and beyond. Amen? So naturally, out of that comes we feel with others. And this is a really important point. Um, the Latin for compassion is compati, which means to suffer with. And I, I think we talk about compassion as something like, you know, we're just being nice. We're just making outward actions. But actual compassion is choosing to suffer. I'm telling you, like, this morning, I'm so sad. I, I came in and I was doing the pre-service prayer with everybody. We always pray for the service. And I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm struggling this morning. I am, I'm heartbroken. This guy was so sad. He was the nicest guy. He had nobody to care for him. I'm like fighting tears all morning. Because compassion is suffering with him. My heart right now is with Richard at Fairview Hospital right? Because I am sad with Richard. I'm sad with his wife. Because they've lost a sense of dignity that was theirs. And it's really tragic. And I think that there is a cost to compassion. There's a cost to putting ourselves out there for people. And that cost is our hearts. 
that we extend our hearts towards others, but the reality is, is that will break our hearts. But you know what? If Jesus Christ felt like we were worth dying for, then we feel like the world he has given us is worth hurting for, right? If he could suffer in his body, we can suffer in our hearts for others. Romans 12, 18 says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. It is a command of God to mourn, to sit in other people's pain. I couldn't help that guy one bit other than, you know, getting him on his little roll later thing and holding it and making sure that didn't whatever and calling 911. I was unhelpful other than that. But I mourned with him. He was like, I just wanted to exercise. I just wanted to exercise at the mall. That's where I go to exercise. I'm like, I know. You should have been able to do that today. That's really sad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're feeling sad. That's right. You should have been able to go exercise at the mall. I'm so sorry you didn't get to do that today. I'm sorry you have to go to the hospital instead. That's very sad. But how often do we encounter people and we're like, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry. And then we go on. Oh, I'm sorry. That's sad. Oh, I'm sorry. But there's a different posture, and I think we feel it in ourselves when we enter people's pain. I'm sorry that happened to you. Tell me about that. Tell me more about your mom. She really loved you. She sounds like a really special person. What can I do? How can I be a part of this? How can I help? Right? We posture ourselves by entering into others' pain because Jesus entered into our pain. John uh, 11 tells a story of um, when Lazarus died. So Mary, um, this is Mary, Jesus' friend, not his mom reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, okay, Jesus was minding his business. He finds out his friend was about to die. He then travels all this way, and the sister greets him. Jesus is feeling sad because his friend, well, he knew he died, you know, because it's Jesus, but... Uh, so he gets there, and the sister, the first thing she did was say, if you had done better my brother wouldn't have died. This is your fault. Now for me, as a not perfect Jesus person, I would have immediately been like, I'm here, right? I'm doing my best. It would have been immediate defense mode. But what does Jesus do? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus cried. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, because that's what he ends up doing later in the story. But he still chose to enter into her pain enough that he cried with her. Just because we know it's going to be okay for someone and it's going to all work out doesn't mean we say that right? Like when my mom died, I'm like standing at the casket in the wake, I'm like obviously very sad. And this lady comes up giggling. 
She said, it's fine. She's not really dead. She's in heaven. You'll see her again. Ah! Right? How, how many times do people say the stupidest stuff? Well, that cancer's pretty treatable. Well, you know, that just happens to some women. You can always have more kids. Maybe you could adopt, right? Jesus could have said, Mary, calm down. I'm going to raise him from the dead. But what did he do? He said nothing about that. And he entered into her pain, and he let it wash over him, and he wept with her. He saw her, and he let his heart break on her behalf. And the last is, is that as we let people's pain wash over us, as we enter into their pain, as we stop for them, we necessarily engage for them. It moves us to action on their behalf. Like, thoughts and prayers are just a little cheap sometimes. We can pray, but then pray and bring a meal, right? Pray and say, let me clean your house. Pray and donate. Pray and, pray and listen. Pray and sit with. Pray and reassure, I'm so sorry. It's not fair, but I'm going to walk with you in this. I've said, I mean, I've said that to people because you don't know I can't fix anything. I'm a fixer by nature, but there's times you're like, like I, I don't know what to say in this moment. I don't know how to express the depths of empathy I have for you in this moment, but I will walk with you in this. Whatever you need that to look like from me, I will be there for you. And that's our posture, right? Our posture is we stop, we feel, we move into action. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. If we have something and we see someone without and we do nothing, how can the love of God be in us? Because he loved us first. Because he laid down his life for us first. And in the same way that he lays down his life for us, we lay down our lives for other people. We lay down our lives for our neighbors. We lay down our lives for people that we disagree with. For people who we love and people we don't love. For people we think are wrong, we still have compassion. I was talking to somebody um, who was feeling frustrated about um, a, a migration situation in this country that was very divisive regarding the border and da 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 da. And they were ranting and raving. It's okay, we can feel our feelings, no problem. But I was like, I think what you're saying politically is, it, it might be true or might not be true, that's whatever. But can we just take a moment here 
and feel with the people who are so desperate to be here that they would break all these laws. I'm not saying we have to agree on how to handle it, but can we let our hearts break as the people of God first? Even if we disagree, even if we, even if we can't get there politically, we don't need to because we're the people of God, we don't have to get there politically, but can we agree that every human on this earth is worthy of our hearts breaking for? I mean, instead of praising jail time for people who've done things we hate, can we just take a second and let our hearts break that they have become so deceived or they have made such bad choices that they're in that place? That the will of God for them is plenty and goodness and righteousness and reconciliation with his son. And here they are. And that's hard, right? It is easy to feel compassion for and be moved to action on behalf of dying 12-year-old little girls. But boy, is it hard for someone who's unclean. Boy, is it hard to stop for someone who could tarnish our reputation if we engage with them. Who could make us feel yucky by association. Who others would judge us for being with. But church, the love of God is in us has been poured out for us, not just so that we can be reconciled to God, but so that we can reconcile others to God. And we do that by compassion. We do that the same way that Jesus did for us, that Jesus engaged with us first, that Jesus came to this world because he had compassion on us because his heart broke for us. And in that 33 years he lived here, he let our pain wash over him again and again. And he mourned with us. And he cried with us so that he could then die on a cross for us and be raised to new life so that he could send the Holy Spirit so he never had to leave us. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, that God did that for us. And our response to that gospel is surrendering our lives so that he can live through us. When we surrender our lives and we say, Jesus, I want to make you my Lord and Savior, we're not just saying, Jesus, take me to heaven when I'm done here, right? We're not just saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done that are not honoring to you. But it's saying, Jesus, I surrender my whole life so you can do anything you want with me. And that doesn't have to be comfortable. And it doesn't have to feel good. I surrender my whole life so you can break my heart. And that's, I mean, that has been a prayer that I have prayed my whole life. Jesus, break my heart. For the people your heart breaks for. Jesus, I want to see the people you're crying over. I want to cry with you, Jesus. And then make me your hands. I want to heal. I want to bind up their wounded hearts. I want to come alongside lonely people. God, let me see. And this, this has been the call of God in my life. And, and I want to encourage you to make this the call of God on your life. 
that we don't just surrender to Jesus in our hearts, but we surrender to Jesus with our actions, with our emotions, with our time, right? So we're going to come to the table of the Lord together. Before we do, I just want to say that uh, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never said, Lord, I, I want to give everything I have to you. I want to live for you. I want to give you my heart, my time, my life. Then today's the day for that. Because he came for us. And he still comes for us. And the love of God is here for you. So I want to invite you to that. But if, if we could stand together, we're going to pray, and then we're going to move into a time of communion. We're going to come to the Lord's table. Let's pray first. Stand with me, please. Jesus Christ, we thank you that you came for us. We thank you that you gave up your comfort to become unclean so that we could become clean. We thank you that you didn't have compassion fatigue on the hundredth time we needed you. But you came to us. Not just when we found you, but you come to us all the time. And we ask that you would do a deep and great work in our lives and in our hearts, that we could come for our community, that we could stop for our community, that we could have hearts that are broken for the lonely, broken for the hurting, and that we could move into those places with deep action. And Father, as we come to your table, we remember the things that you did for us, and we remember the things you continue to do. We ask that you would meet us, Lord God, as we take the cup and eat the bread, that we would encounter you afresh. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take this. And remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take this, and when you do, remember me. And we believe as we eat this bread and we take this cup, we are proclaiming the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus until he comes.